0: We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you.
1: So the reading uh, begins at Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. And we're continuing the story of Joseph, who's been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and now finds himself in jail. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? he asked them. And they replied, We both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Ah, interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into his cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do, do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position, so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Now the next chapter goes on to tell of the dreams that Pharaoh has. At first, no one can interpret them either. So we now continue at verse 9. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. "'Today I have been reminded of my failure,' he told Pharaoh. "'Some time ago you were angry with the chief baker and me, "'and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. "'One night the chief baker and I each had a dream.' and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant, and everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed And impaled on a pole. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Or, it is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Joseph then interprets the dreams. Egypt will have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Then Joseph uses the opportunity to advise Pharaoh on how to make Egypt's resources stretch. Now our last section begins at verse 37. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Let's pray while we're still standing. Heavenly Father, we pray so much that you would teach us what it means to fear you and therefore have nothing else to fear. We pray that you would encourage us now by your word, that you'd speak to us through your spirit That we would be strengthened for the week ahead in your service, and we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Please do take a seat, Um, and thank you so much for uh, singing that hymn so wonderfully. It uh, was—it's one of my absolute favourites. I didn't choose it, just to be clear. Uh, it, I, we sung it on my, our wedding day. If anyone's taking notes, I want it at my funeral. Uh, and it was lovely to have it sung today. Fear him, you saints, and you will then have nothing else to fear. You can go home and read it again. It's fantastic. Anyway, uh, I am here because poor John Featherstone isn't here. And he's amongst a number of people uh, who is, is not well at the moment. I know that there's a number joining us online um, who are suffering from the dreaded COVID. And perhaps a number of others here are affected in some way by that. I'm very aware of this morning. But the Lord's word is uh, the same. And so we have a great privilege of continuing in these chapters in the story of Joseph. Um, Now, as you may know, each week uh, we try to bring together all the strands of our our church's teaching around a single passage or theme. And often that's part of a longer series as it is right now. So, for example, this week uh, we have a Sunday morning looking at uh, chapters 40 to 41 of Genesis, and the themes have been picked up in the service around it. Hopefully you've noticed that. And then on Wednesday, this Wednesday, as usual, we'll release a midweek memo uh, on uh, YouTube. You can find it on any of our social media. There's an email that goes out with that. That'll probably pick up something from um, this passage of Scripture. If you're in a small group... And if you're not, by the way, definitely get into a small group. Uh, Do talk to Natasha, who's over here, or or me, if you'd like to hear about that. In your small group, you have a chance to think more about uh, this passage of Scripture. And uh, if you're still keen or you missed out on a small group, you can go onto our website, and under the Resources tab, you can find the notes for the small group, which you can study uh, on your own. Uh, Beautifully presented by Ian, who does so much behind the scenes. The point of all of this is we try to be joined up in all our learning we like to be joined up hopefully that helps you hopefully you can see see what's happening there and it allows us to go on a journey together in the scriptures having said that i don't think any of us was prepared for the decision by the bbc to also synchronize the platinum jubilee concert with our teaching program however the observant of you will will have will have noticed there they were we were minding our own business, celebrating the uh, Platinum Jubilee, and suddenly Jason Donovan appeared in his Technicolor dream coat, singing Any Dream Will Do. That was a great moment for me personally in my career as a vicar, perfectly on cue in my sermon series. There we go. But the thing about that song, uh, which, let's be honest, has helped a lot of us understand and remember the story, uh, for a certain generation, it's the way that we remember the story of Joseph now there's a lot in the musical that's quite true to the original story the basic sequence the character names there's a fair bit that just isn't at all connected so there's generations of children who've grown up thinking that Pharaoh was basically a latter-day Elvis Presley and they've had to be kind of disabused of that of that notion in later life the most striking detail though the most striking difference is the absence of one key character in the musical. Now, I realize this is a bit niche, but if you can think back to it when you last thought of it, I wonder who you think that is. For me, the characters missing is God. The hero of the theater is is Joseph. Or frankly, if you went at the time that I went, it was actually Jason. We all went to see Jason himself. But the hero of the biblical account is God himself. And today we're going to explore how God sort of is lifted out of this moment of history and those events back then and although it's, it's an ancient story that we're studying just as the human characters resonate with us and we can connect with you know the awful situation of favoritism at the beginning of the story and so forth so i think what we learn about god in these chapters is absolutely vital for how we understand him today and i've got two little phrases i want to share with you to make our way through through this today. The first one is God knows and shows. God knows and shows. And the second one is God paves and saves. God paves and saves. So first one of those, God knows and shows. And, and this is a theme that's sort of bubbling its way all the way through these two chapters. It's right there from the beginning. You've got the, uh, the cupbearer and the baker. They were key figures in um, Pharaoh's court. They're banged up in jail. Now, I think these figures were supposed to be some of the closest, most loyal uh, subjects of Pharaoh. Necessarily loyal, because I think part of their role was to protect him as a last line of defense against poisoning, so they would ensure that the king's food and drink were safe. Now, the fact that they both end up in jail, um, let alone the baker's miserable end, uh, also suggests that Pharaoh's court was should we say, not really caught up in the niceties of HR. You know, one day you're told the fish pie has got a little bit too much spice in it, and, and the next day you're facing impalement. It was not a particularly settled place to be. Anyway, these men, in addition to having been demoted quite so radically in quite such a short time, have these troubling dreams. So, Verse 8 of chapter 40, we both have dreams, they say to Joseph, but there's no one to interpret them. Now, what's this thing about dreams? Well, in in Egyptian culture, uh, dreams apparently were a very big thing. The Egyptians looked for messages about the future in their dreams. In fact, they were actually quite scientific about dreams. Um, It was a respected skill to be able to interpret dreams. There were great books that would help you uh, connect the images in dreams and the symbols to their meaning. And so it's fascinating how Joseph responds. Joseph says to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Incidentally, I wonder how you would have responded to that question. Do not interpretations belong to God? to God? I have to say, the whole realm of dreams leaves me pretty confused. It's hard to know what's going on when we dream, isn't it? Let alone what connection it has with God. But this basic idea, I think we can all grasp. Whatever there is to know or understand about a dream, God knows it. And he alone can make sense of all the unseen realities of both our minds and the world around us. God is the one who has the interpretations but this is a significant moment in this story, because here we have the invisible God writing himself visibly onto the page. There's Joseph, and before this moment, we're looking at him, and frankly, it looks like he's in the doldrums. He's against his will, and apparently not to his long-term advantage, um, he's locked up in jail. Verse 15 he says, "I was forcibly carried off from the land of Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in, in dungeon." So Joseph, he's a refugee. He's very conscious of being a racial minority. He's been falsely accused. He's been imprisoned in the Egyptian jail at the mercy of much more powerful forces, it seems. But now a strange twist comes on. He gets confronted with this kind of challenge that the Egyptians are meant to be really good at. Dreams. But none of the Egyptians can work it out. But Joseph can. Or he knows someone who can, God. God knows this stuff. So although in this moment Egypt may have looked so great, all of a sudden, in a little flash, we see that there is one even greater than the power and influence of Egypt. I want to just pause on that for a moment because I wonder if that's a word for anyone here this morning. Perhaps you find yourself in some kind of Egypt. A sense that all the power, all the influence in your situation is in the hands of people who... Seem to have little concern for you or for the real good, or whose priorities are just so far removed from what you value as a Christian. And when you're in that place, it can seem very much like Egypt, very far away from God. And yet the truth is, He knows. God knows. But, of course, change doesn't come about until God does something about that. God also shows. And that's what happens. He knows and then he shows. So we follow on with the story. Verse 12, God gives Joseph the meaning. Verse 12, this is what it means. Joseph said to him, the three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And so forth. And then, of course, he gives that much less savory, excuse the gag, interpretation for the poor, eventually impaled baker. But both of these interpretations turn out true. And the same happens with Pharaoh's dreams too. Joseph interprets his dreams. he talks about the seven fat cows, meaning seven years of good harvest. The seven lean ones mean seven years of famine. And then there's the dream about the grains that you may remember. It has the same meaning. And those interpretations are shown to be true as well. The point is, it's God who shows it. God is the one who really knows what's going on. So, it bubbles out again in in the exchange with Pharaoh, very clearly. Verse 14 of chapter 41. So, Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. He gets shaved, gets his clothes changed. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, no one can interpret it. I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can. Now, this was Joseph's great moment to say, of course, well, actually, I'm very good at interpreting dreams. Actually, you've really lucked out. He doesn't say that. Verse 16. He says... I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he deserves, he desires. And then a little later on in verse 28, a um, uh, similar kind of theme. It's just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. It's all God's doing. God's the one who knows and shows. Now, why make such a big song and dance of this? Well, I guess because it's such an important element of the story. The great hero is God. And in fact, this is what God is like in general. He's a, he's a God of revelation. This is how God deals with his world and his people. And I find that a great relief. You know, if we had to work out God from completely from where we are, it would be a nightmare, wouldn't it? Either we'd... We'd come up with some horribly domesticated, limited deity of our own imagining, and we wouldn't agree with what it was. Or we'd despair of trying to find out. we think, well, we've got no idea what God is, so who knows? But in fact, God's way is to reveal himself, to explain something of his purposes to the people he's created. Think about the whole story of the Bible. He speaks in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. He reveals his plans in, in words and dreams and visions to Abraham and, and his descendants. And then he sends his, his prophets to communicate his mind to his people. And then he comes into the world in Jesus Christ personally to make himself known. And then he leaves his spirit to inspire the written word in the scriptures. God is in the habit always of making himself known. Now, of course, God has not shown us everything. I I guess between us, we could amass quite a lot of questions that we would like to ask God that this side of eternity we're not going to get the answers to. And even what we do know now is still limited by basically the size of our brains. Our limited minds can only cope with so much. But God is still a revealer. He's still committed to making himself known. And I think that makes such a difference for us as Christians, how we approach our faith. That's one of the really significant things for me that give me confidence in the scriptures. This is, this is the kind of thing that God does. He makes himself known from the beginning. But it's a big question. isn't it? Can we really believe that God put together a book for us to know him? Well, here's why I think we can. Because since the very beginning, this is the kind of thing that God does. He knows and shows. But of course, that comes into our lives personally. Let me ask you a question. I wonder when the last time was you prayed for revelation from God. When was the last time you really rested? Lord, make yourself known to me. Help me understand. If you've got kids, I wonder how you enable your, your kids to grow up In a way where they see the adults around them learning from God, seeking God. Would your kids be able to explain that this is how it works? I know the adults in my life are dependent on God for revelation, for wisdom. They expect to hear from him. Of course, this particular incident um, in the scriptures begs the question about dreams very specifically. What about dreams? Dreams. Um, And here, I'm I'm not on particularly expert territory. I guess I know as much as you do that, you know, dreams is not something we're particularly comfortable talking about in 21st century Western culture. But God promised dreams and visions to his church. And actually, they continue to this day throughout the world. Now, from the many stories I've heard of the gospel going out into the world, particularly in the Muslim world... It's often accompanied by dreams and visions. If you'd like to hear more about what the Lord is doing through dreams and visions around the world, I'd recommend um, some of these books. I've got two books that I want to recommend to you. One is Nabil Qureshi's Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus. Um, he sadly died of, of cancer. This is an amazing testimony of his own coming to faith, connected with dreams. Um, and the other one is uh, Bilki's Sheikh's I Dare to Call Him Father. And again, she. I was a believer, uh, uh, a Muslim believer in Pakistan to whom um, the Lord revealed himself in dreams. And both give us a sense of what God is doing to show himself in dreams in the world. So it still happens. God knows and God shows. Secondly, and, and more briefly, God paves and God saves. And you're going to have to forgive my choice of words here, but I just kind of had to go for it because it rhymes. You'll probably remember it. God paves and God saves. I'm not talking about driveways here, just to be absolutely clear. Uh, I mean, God paves the way. The story of Joseph is a masterclass in God's carefully paving the way for his purposes to be achieved. If you've read this story a few times, you, you know that it, it kind of reaches its climax at Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where Uh, Joseph explains to his brothers, he says this, he says, What you intended for evil, basically when you lobbed me in the well, right at the beginning, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, for the saving of many lives. And we see God paving the way for all of that here in chapter 41. We see him moving the pieces. Um, So, from the beginning, you remember the, the brothers, they callously sell Joseph to the slave traders. Of course, because they've sold him, that gets Joseph to Egypt. Now, Joseph goes into service with Potiphar and he gets falsely accused. That's a bit grim, ends up in prison. But as a result of being in prison, he now meets the cupbearer and the baker who are part of Pharaoh's court. So he gets close to Pharaoh. Now, those guys both have dreams, That gives Joseph the opportunity to show his knowledge of God and be noticed by people who are then close to Pharaoh. Then, of course, the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. And we think the whole thing is diving again. But that means that later on, in two years, Joseph gets a a really spectacular entrance to the court when Pharaoh is looking for someone to interpret his dream. And, of course, at that stage, because Joseph is in the room having just explained what the dream meant, he's then also the first person in the line to actually get the job to oversee What's going to happen? That reminds us that God is paving the way, all the way. But, flip side of that, this story reminds us, it's not very easy to live halfway through the story. It's tough in that moment when God is still only paving, and perhaps that's what it feels like a bit for you, where you are in your life right now. Let's just think our way for a moment into Joseph's situation. Do you remember how Joseph, after he interprets his dreams, he said, by the way, remember me to Pharaoh, won't you? And I guess what would have happened is that, you know, the the cupbearer goes off to return to Pharaoh, and Joseph knows he's aware of the injustice of his own situation. And Joseph's thinking, okay, well, it's not going to be long before, you know, I'm going to get fished out of here. And so a few days go go past, nothing yet. Oh, the cupbearer must be busy, you know, he's just sort of, getting his knees under the table again. Um, but, you know, every day at the stage, Joseph is still on his knees. Lord, thank you so much. I really thought it was all kind of up the creek, but then you sent me these two people and I was able to interpret the dreams. And now they're with Pharaoh. You know, One of them's with Pharaoh. It's going to go well. Thank you, Lord. You amazing provision. And then a week goes past and he's still in jail. And then two weeks. What's going on? And then it's a month. And then it's two months and still nothing. He can't, he can't have forgotten me, Joseph thinks. And God can't. Why would God do I mean, he lined everything up like this perfectly. God had everything just on a plate for himself there. All that had to happen is the guy needed to not have amnesia and I'd be fine. What's the point of organizing it all like this? And then the guy's just forgotten me. What a mediocre outcome to God's great plan. That must have been what it felt like to be in Joseph's shoes. And perhaps you can identify with that. But then, eventually, it resolves. But don't miss this verse, chapter 41, verse 1. When two full years had passed. Two years Joseph is sitting there thinking, Well, I mean, that that was a joke, wasn't it? That was all teed up and then it just went straight down the pan. Two years. But then, of course, the moment comes. He gets Pharaoh's call up. Two years of confusion suddenly makes some sense. We see God paving the way to save. But it's a long game. It's not easy living in the middle of it. So let me ask you this morning, if you're living in the middle of that kind of a situation... If you're in that place where the pieces of the jigsaw just are not fitting together. If you're in that place where there's seemingly no progress. Perhaps it may be very acute for you. Why don't you make the most of our prayer ministry afterwards. Share it with a friend or or pray with someone here just about what what you're struggling with. You know, in a sense, I think all of us are in that place. All of us are kind of in the middle of it. We live between the resurrection of Christ and his second coming. So we live between the beginning of God's plan and its completion. And you know, all the confusing situations that we have, and there will be many and varied, are all variations on the same theme. We can see what God has started. We've seen in the resurrection a glimpse of what God is going to do one day for all of us. But right now, we can't quite see how it all joins up. And so... We need faith to trust that God's purposes have not got derailed. Well, we could continue, but there's so much uh, in there. I think we'll leave it there. I just want to leave you with one last quote. One of the things I love to do is look at what saints over time have thought about the Scriptures. John Chrysostom uh, was around about 1,600 years, years uh, ago, so if... Um, age as any kind of measure of wisdom this is very very wise but here's what he said about these verses let us never despair in the midst of distress or become frustrated by following our own reasoning rather let us give evidence of sound endurance and be buoyed up by hope secure in the knowledge of our lord's resourcefulness and the fact that instead of ignoring us and abandoning us to the experience of troubles He wants to crown us with a resplendent garland for our struggles. God paves, and one day we'll know it so clearly, in Christ, he will completely save. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this picture of one servant of yours walking the life of faith. We thank you for the way that you showed in his life, the way that you make yourself clear, the the way that you show yourself to us. And we pray this morning again that you would reveal yourself to us. Reveal yourself through your word in our hearts that we would have a sense of what your purposes are for us. And Lord, we pray for each one of us as we find ourselves in different ways in the middle of your plan. In the middle of your purposes. Not fully knowing how it will work out. We pray that you would give us confidence for the future. Faith to depend on you for all the things that we ourselves couldn't work out. And trust that even as you're paving the way now, you will eventually save. We thank you for this. In
0: Jesus' name. Amen.